0: If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move
1: big doors. And now, your host, Karen Allen. Hello, listener. Today, I am so excited about this conversation. My guest is Jessica Baum. She is a psychotherapist, relationship coach, and founder of the Self Full Method. As the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach, her work is focused on helping individuals develop a meaningful connection with their self and then a, a deeper understanding of some of those patterns or behaviors or, or habits even so that they can better understand how they show up in relationships. This work right here, Jess, I cannot wait to dive in with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is something I think we all need to talk about, right? Because I mean, front and center, if you head over to Jess's website, you'll see that she is all about empowering us to create conscious relationships and to be more conscious in life, I think is the ultimate freedom. So can you tell us a little bit of your backstory though? Like what are some of the elements in your life that kind of led you to this work? Oh, wow. That's a, yeah,
0: there's a a lot to that. Um, You know, I call my private practices, the Relationship Institute at Palm Beach, but I feel like we're in relation with everything and we're not always conscious as to why we behave certain ways or do certain things or react to things. And I think when I started to do some real deep work on myself and did my own healing and decided to go back to school, I started to realize that I really wanted to get conscious underneath some of my behaviors and why I was suffering and what, what this really meant for me. So, you know, I think relationships are a mirror in, and so I think that's a great place to start. And the way in which we show up in relationships with others is sometimes an indicator of what's going on inside us too. So it's, it's a in tandem thing when you do the inner works, the external work benefits and vice versa. So I really, I hone in on, on that mirroring effect of doing your own work.
1: Absolutely, I know from my own personal journey that I went through a traumatic experience of losing my husband, was widowed before I was thirty years old, which was horrible. But it was that trauma that ignited this like hunger, it, you know, like a thirst that of consciousness, like I did not want to live anymore, not feeling connected, and I thought that honestly, I thought I was connected <laughs> mm. until I learned that no, there's like this deeper. I think what developed was a deeper reverence for life. Did you have an experience that became that epiphany that really ignited your desire for a deeper level of consciousness? I think I'm consciously, I mean, I'm, I'm
0: constantly having different layers of that experience. So I think I've met mom, extreme moments like that before an awakening back home. And then you think you're there and then the more life comes and it's another awakening back home. And it's like, there's these layers and layers and layers. And I think- you know, that's a beautiful example. I mean, grief, grief, whether you're losing a relationship or losing a role or losing an identity is sometimes an amazing path in, you know, because you do have to find yourself again and as painful as it is, it can be a catalyst for, you know, just an expansion within, you know, or it can be a lot of suffering. I mean, I think with the right support, it sometimes often is a catalyst. It's just no one really wants to face the suffering or would sign up for that. Um, you know
1: knowingly absolutely sometimes you're like people say oh i wish i would have known no no <laughs> i don't think i actually want to know all of the things that i'm going to go through mm-hmm. i have come to this place of acceptance where I trust more in my capabilities and my capability to learn through that experience. But you said that um, it was through your own healing that you then Mm -hmm. decided to pursue this and also go to school for it specifically. Mm. What was that pivotal moment where you realized like, no, this isn't just about my own healing, but this is something I could do to help heal others?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's like so many, I, I treat relationships. So in my own relationships, I think finding out that I had my own work to do through the relationships that I was in was very insightful, but I struggled a lot from depression and anxiety when I was younger. And I remember, oh God, it was a while ago now, going back to school saying, I want to help people with depression, which is actually very hard because it was like having a broken leg for me and yet no one could see it. So I became fascinated with the unseen parts Mm -hmm. of mental health and how much suffering is going on in the inside. And yet we are so unaware of that and wanting to help people who were suffering like me. That's originally how I got into it. And then I think the suffering can happen in relationships and in life with anxiety and all these things. And so the more I decided to heal and look within the more my desire to help other people's heal and look within, and I still do my own work and I still look within and it's in tandem with the work that I do with other people. So just been this unfolding in this process. And it's actually not the healthiest thing. I, I decided to write a book and I remember thinking to myself, I, I can only help eight people a day. This is, this is not enough, you know, which I don't know it was coming from the healthiest place. I was like, I need to create something where I can help more people, you know, get conscious. And that's when I decided to start writing a book. And I think there's just a part of me that wants to help people look at their lives and look at their their behaviors that are going on in their life that they're judging, but start to understand what's really driving those behaviors. Because I think when we understand how we adapted and how we survive and we understand our nervous system and, and, and how much compassion can come into these behaviors, that these are just ways in which we're trying to survive. When you can start to look at your life from that lens, it's actually that compassion that starts to help you shift these yes. quote unquote surface behaviors, because it's really what the behavior is just an example of how you're trying to fix what's going on inside. So it's about getting a little bit clearer and not focusing so much on the external, but what internally is driving you to do these things and having compassion and an understanding of where the origin of
1: that is. Compassion for yourself and for others, right? Because once you start to go through that process, I mean, I love how you said, like, I'm, I'm still healing. I'm still on the journey. I feel the same way. We are experts in this area, but we are still living it. We are still going through our own growth and our, our own healing. And I do think that that is what brings a, another level of, of credibility because we're in the trenches as well and in our own mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have absolutely found that the more compassion that I have had for myself, the more compassion I'm also able to give to others. But actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Jess, it was a little reverse because I can give compassion to others before I give compassion to myself. Like, mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to feel that towards others. But it was, an, it was a new level of, of going inward to myself. How do you help people explore both of those dynamics?
0: Yeah, I mean, and so I hear what you're saying. And a lot of people can feel sorry and empathy and compassion for other people before they can themselves because they yet have not connected to their own suffering yet. And so they're not an observer of their own self quite yet, because it's painful to kind of start to do that work or no one has really helped them look in and see, you know, a lot of people have childhood experiences and that's where I specialize in developmental kind of trauma, but it's really these little experiences that we have that we don't want to see as hurtful or hard because We've labeled them or detached from them, but the truth is they impacted us. And so when someone can help us see how they impacted us, we have to feel more. And when we feel more, it gets more complicated. But if you're in survival mode or if you're struggling with somebody else and you're activated, it's hard to have compassion in that moment. But when you start to develop compassion for yourself, your bandwidth for other people expands mm-hmm. when they touch your stuff, you know? So you're, you know, it's, it's so multi-layered and a lot of people are out there giving and, and being able to hold space. And I was one of them, but I think the level of depth, you depth, you can meet people expands when you meet more of yourself. And that's just an
1: unfolding that happens
0: um, more mm-hmm. organically.
1: Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. I think right now, we are in a space because of all of the collective grief that we've gone through in the past couple of years, I think there is a heightened level of empathy and compassion for one another because everybody's stuff was blending together. I heard a great quote that said, you know, we are um, in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And I think because of the uniqueness of that time of going through a storm together, it helped us to realize that all humans All humans go through different levels of pain or suffering or trauma. And some of them, as you just mentioned, are so small that we deem them insignificant. We overlook them, but they've already made an imprint on our life. Mm -hmm.
0: And they're not small when you're four. Because in a four-year-old's mind or in a six-year-old's mind, they're actually big impacts. Mm -hmm. But when we become an adult, we minimize them because we're no longer in that ego state. But mm. the truth is they've impacted us in a big way. And that's a lot of what the work I do is that the the experience that we have when we're small impact us. And then we adapt to those experiences. And then we keep those ad- adaptations in our adult life. And we are not even conscious that that's what's really going on. So we can get really frustrated at our behaviors or our choices, but we don't truly understand how we got here to begin with. And mm. so unpacking that can be very, very insightful.
1: Yes, absolutely. And Your work specifically, you know, it talks about relationships, but it's not so specific where it's just talking about romantic relationships. And I appreciate that. I noticed on your Instagram, you had a post and it said your parents' ability to soothe your intense emotions as a child is what lays the foundation for you to regulate as an adult. Mm -hmm. I'm a mama. (laughs) I'm a mama of an 11-year-old boy. And I think about this a lot, the way that I speak to him, the way that I walk him through some of his own issues and how that is going to give him a foundation going into his adulthood. So I know that now from my level of consciousness. But if you were speaking to someone who they haven't really unpacked the things that have happened in their childhood, and they do have to go into those details of maybe um, what they were exposed to or how their parents showed up in their life or even small or subtle or even big ways that they were neglected. What is a first step that you would give someone who is ready and open and willing to dive into that exploration?
0: So I think that if, if you're listening and um, some of this is new to you, I think that our parents give us most of the time, the best in which they received. And that's where intergenerational stuff gets passed down. And if your parents, if your mother was anxious or depressed or struggling that she didn't do this to you, that she literally couldn't help regulate you in those moments. And then so therefore your ability to self-regulate is not fully developed yet. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that Co-regulation or depending on dependable people and learning how it's self-regulation is only built through proper co-regulation. So learning to find a therapist or someone that can help you co-regulate through the harder sensations that might be more infant that live inside of you actually helps build um, the ability to self-regulate later on in life. It's it's one comes first than the other. And I think a lot of people I mean, it's not black and white, but a lot of people think, oh, you have to learn how to self-soothe or self And I'm like, if you didn't get that from your parents, how are you supposed to give that to your child until you learn learned to get that in a healthy way in the here and now? That's when those neuro, you know, the, the neuroplasticity starts to change within you. And then you can show up for your kids even better in the now. And it's never really too late to do that work. Yes.
1: Yes. Great point. Great point. That's a small detail that sometimes people use as an excuse, at least mm-hmm. that I have seen. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm already this way, or this is how it is, or this is how I was raised. That's a very mm-hmm. common crutch. Mm-hmm. But the brain is so sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And as you just pointed to, neuroplasticity, if that's a new term for you, listener, it really is about the neural pathways in our brain our hard hardwiring. We have found that that can be rewired. And so there are, are little things that you can start to do Thank you for mentioning. You know, seeing a therapist is one thing that you can start to do. It's a it's a very helpful tool that thankfully we've kind of gotten away from the stigma associated with that. Are there any tools that you would give someone that in their day-to-day basis they could be more mindful of, they could be more intentional of so that they can peel back the layer of any childhood trauma that would come up in their that it could even be it's showing up in their day-to-day and it could be kind of a blockage to the life that they are looking to create, the success they hope to fulfill.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a really great question and again it doesn't have to be a therapist, but I think having warm non-judgmental people there for you mm. is um is a key to healing no matter what. Mm-hmm. And people who aren't going to try to fix you. Yes. And stop looking at your problems as something that needs to be fixed. It's more about a holding in in these harder moments than a fixing and so often we turn to our parents or cause we live in a very left centered world or our friends. And they're like, yeah, he's the bad guy. She's the bad guy. Or that boss is horrible. Or you need to get to the gym or you need. And it's like, they want to throw out a million solutions at us. And so when you're struggling and you're in pain, it's about finding people who can just be with you without um, telling you how to fix it so that you can learn to be with deeper parts of yourself and, not judging your behaviors, but starting to look at what is driving the behavior. I look at most behaviors as protectors. Like I have to do this, but it's like, okay, so you have this quote unquote unhealthy behavior, or some people glorify healthy behaviors, like going to the gym 24 seven. It it doesn't really matter. What matters is what's driving that behavior. And it doesn't even matter some fear or pain or something is driving that behavior. What matters is the awareness Yes. around what's driving that behavior if you need a cookie because you're in pain there's no judgment there but it the work is to say okay i'm in pain and this is what i need to do today and maybe tomorrow i can sit in a little more pain right and so mm-hmm. it's the awareness at around why you do these behaviors and the compassion that thank god you have some of these behaviors there because we can't be in our quote-unquote stuff all the time yeah but through healing i think the capacity to be in that stuff expands and through the right relationships and the right holding that happens. And then you can actually become quote unquote more successful, but more embodied. And mm. I think that's essentially what a lot of people truly want, but it's a hard thing to explain to someone um, who's very f- focused on success on the paper, right? Okay. Like they're like, we all want success on paper. I'm one of them. I could list my resume, but I think what I really wanted was embodiment, like a full sense of embodiment and ability to be more present in my life an ability to appreciate the small things and to be more moment to moment. And that had to come when I got out of my doing mode and Mm -hmm. more in a being mode. And I couldn't be in a being mode alone because that was scary. So I needed to lean on support through my process and I think the more that you let in the right support, the more your ability to do it for yourself and have that
1: compassion expands, too. They happen simultaneously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I saw a great video and it said, I never want a version of success where my well-being is not in the center. And that hit my heart so, I mean, like a lightning bolt. And it's true. I mean, I, if you think about that, as you just mentioned, success for everybody is going to be different. But I think that at the very core of it for, for all of us as humans, it is fulfillment, feeling fulfilled in what we're doing, not just fulfilled by things, but in, in fulfilled in, um, in our, our way of being, you know, our way of living and also connection. And then so you, I think really for you to feel whole, it's both. It's like feeling fulfilled in yourself and also feeling well connected with others. But the journey of that, it's a constant like healing process, you know? And, and one thing that I love that you, you said is like healing doesn't mean that you're never going to get triggered. I remember thinking that on my personal growth journey, (laughs) it's like, Oh, I've gone through all this and this is great. It's so great. And then all of a sudden I hit a low and I'm like, dang it. I thought that I got through that. (laughs) But it's a tricky thing to measure internal growth. I have some thoughts around how we can do that. Do you have any thoughts on how we can measure internal growth while we're on this healing journey? Absolutely. I have two things to say. You know, I started to replace the word trigger with awakened,
0: and I yes, think, more, I saw
1: that. That was yeah. so good. I love that. Yeah,
0: and I think the more you can view what's showing up, because the the more embodied you become, the more awakened you will experience things and the more that surfaces. Yeah. So it's actually a good thing when things become awakened. It's just, we don't always know how to be tender with them or really understand what's going on unless we have the support or we have the insight in that moment. And I think that the measuring of success is your window of tolerance So what I mean by that is your ability to be in more uncomfortable situations and not get dysregulated increases. And so you're able to stay in compassion. You're able to, and listen, enough stressors come out of any one of us. We're going to shift into a a stress response, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's no judgment there. We need to, I mean, Mm
1: -hmm. there's a war going
0: on. We need to shift into a, a stress response. But I think when you are awakening parts of yourself and you're being with them, then when you experience them in the here and now, they don't impact you in the same way. They don't pull your center, you off center as much. So it's, it's being with those sensations again and tying them back to the roots that leads to integration. And then your window of tolerance, your, your ability to not flip your lid or um, move into a stress response Expands on good days. It expands, and I think you can find yourself in certain certain situations that might have put you in rage. That now you're not in rage. You're mm-hmm. maybe you're upset and you're still right. sympathetically activated, but you're not in full on rage. And there's no judgment with the rage because rage is an automatic response mm-hmm. when we feel very threatened. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you do the work around what's underneath that terror, and you start to make sense of it, and you're with it more, then the rage goes down and Mm -hmm. then you're reaching another level. So I don't know the window, your window or your ability to reach homeostasis gets that you get back to your center faster most of the time, unless it's really severe and you're able to observe that more because you can walk around in your life and say, this would have put me over the edge and now it just upset me a little, or I can choose to do something healthy in this moment where before I would have gone out and bought a six pack or smoked a pack of cigarettes or whatever. And and I have more space or more compassion for what is happening on the outside and what's happening on the inside or more resourcing today because I was able to be with what was activated by this behavior before so much that it now is integrated and more healed.
1: Uh, A thousand percent. I believe that there's this universal truth that's interwoven into the world, right? It's like you hear it in songs and something resonates or you read it somewhere is it, and when somebody says it, it resonates. And I am telling you, this is exactly what I tell clients. When you are thinking about how to measure your internal growth, look at your response time. Mm-hmm. Look at your mm-hmm. response time. Mm-hmm. And it's not that your response is wrong, but you're wondering if you're growing. That's a really great point. Perfect point is that you may still feel the rage, but how quickly can you tap back into that equanimity, right? How can you find yourself back into a space of of clarity and composure and not where the emotion is the, the dominant response, But it's an awareness of the emotion and you can still consciously choose. Yeah, you may sit in that rage for four or five weeks and now you're sitting in it for two weeks. That's a win. That's a win. (laughs) Yeah. And you can
0: tend to it. Is this rage telling you that you need to set a boundary? Is this rage telling you that it's an old wound from your childhood? Mm. Mm. Is this rage, is there pain underneath this rage? Like It's the rage is there for a reason, Mm -hmm. and so it's not necessarily getting out of the rage. It's probably not responding in it, although there might be an adult response to "Hey, I need to set a boundary because this behavior is not okay with me," or "Hey, this is what it's reminding me." It's a cue in to something different, but your reaction time slows down, and you you become more of an observer. And you know, that's when you move out of the reptilian part of your brain, and you're able to access more of your frontal cortex, and that is essentially what's happening. So that is where healing happens is in the integration. And if there's rage there, there's chance there's a, ch- there's a wound there. And, um, you know, These if you listeners can really- not see
1: my smile, I am like so excited to nerd out with you about this, Jess. It's so true. It's in yeah. those small details that we don't notice. Oh, and we must point out, um, also things that we're not taught, you know, we mm-hmm. have this sophisticated brain and mind and and, and, we as humans, we are beautifully complex and we do not have an owner's manual. We have people who came before us who try to teach them from their wisdom. But honestly, you know, dear listener, the things that we are talking about, a lot of this is new that's come up in maybe the last decade or maybe even two decades as far as understanding the mind, but understanding how the mind can um, control the brain or can like soothe the brain or can, those responses. And so I think by, for me, when I was trying to better understand my journey of grief, grief, it all felt like it was one. And one thing that you brought up not too long ago was I remember a very specific moment. I was lying on the ground and I was so consumed with every single horrible emotion that was just taking over at that moment. And I said, I'm just going to lie here. Just going to be still. Let me see what happens if I let myself go there. If I let myself feel all this pain, all of this anger, all of this rage, And it was, like, because I spoke through that, I could find my way through it. Mm -hmm. But there's no Mm -hmm. owner's manual. Like, nobody gives you that. Mm -hmm. But hopefully they're picking it up through conversations like this. That was such a good insight, Jess. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I have two things to say. Like, our parents give us what they can, but we don't live in a culture that really supports being with. We live in a culture that really supports success. And, um you know, being with the uncomfortable we can only be with what, what we can be with. And as, you know, we, we do the best we can. I think everyone does the best we can. Um, and you know, the more that you can lean in and and be a little bit uncomfortable, whether that's with support or like you beautifully said, lying down on the ground, I think it becomes a catalyst for what's in. But it's scary and it's hard and it and, is, yes. No one, you know, no one really explains that that's actually where the beauty lies and it's not safe enough all the time like there must have been something in that moment either you were really desperate or and or feeling safe enough to just drop in Mm -hmm. and so there's a formula but I do believe that every human has inherent wisdom within them and in the right environment with the right support their own treatment plan or their own wisdom will surface. You know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. in within all of us, but there needs to be a sense of safety Mm -hmm. in order for, for the wounds or the pain or the rage or the knowing inside of you for what's right for you to surface, but it actually exists in you. It doesn't exist in the therapist, but the therapist or the other person creates the safety through their system for that to surface within you.
1: Yes. That is such a great point. Oh, such a great point. I know sometimes it's easy for us to um, feel like we're awakened, not triggered. I love that. I just love that so much. And when we notice something that's awakened inside of us, especially if it has to deal with another person, we can very quickly shift to blame. Yes. Yes. We all do that, right? And, it's very, and control. And and control. Project. And I one thing that came up in my... Um, journey about control, because I used to be a control freak, not in the power way, but in the, I'm trying to minimize risk and pain and suffering way, right? So if I can control this environment, if I can control this outcome, then we won't, won't suffer anymore. Um, but what happens in all of that is sometimes we're creating more suffering because we're trying to control this experience. So if we notice that something is awakened in us, I think I I would like for you to explain how can we be aware of that in a way that we can release the blame and and projecting it onto someone else, but instead turn inward to see what's coming up. What is a piece of advice you would give someone in that moment where they notice they're like, well, you did this or, or I'm upset because my kid is getting on my nerves or, you know, whatever, whatever it could be.
0: Well, yeah. So if you feel like something's getting awakened in you and the sensations are really, really big inside of you and you have the resources to not respond in that moment, the best thing to do is to be with it and say, OK, this is being awakened. The sensations are old and the science is showing that the, the sensations are stored in implicit memories. And for those of you who are listening, that if it's that big, it's that old. And so if you can pause and say, what is the theme here? Because the brain likes to come up with a narrative, but it's really the sensation. Have I felt this way before? And chances are you're going to come up with more situations with the same person. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you probably felt this way. If it's that big, it's that old. Before this person even showed up in your life. And so if you could hold the space enough to take depersonalize that person and say, this sensation is really big. Therefore it ha- must exist at an earlier time. Do I remember a time in my body? I felt this way before you can start to connect that the what's coming up on the surface is the awakened part of when you were small because implicit memory versus explicit is sensation. And we don't have a hippocampus when we're born. So those bigger sensations are an indicator that something very, very old and primal is being awakened inside of you. And therefore, we can blame the person who's definitely stepping on the wound in the here and now. But we can also be conscious that there's more to this story. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more to the story. And can I get curious about what more to the story is there for me? Because I now know that science is proving that if the sensations are big, the experience is old. And so it's our job or the job of the right support or how resource you can to try to make those bigger connections because it's in those bigger connections. And sometimes you need help doing that, that true integration from one part of your brain to another part of your brain happens. yeah And that's where we talked about the window of a tolerance increasing. So we stop mm-hmm. projecting in the moment. And it's, this is hard work.
1: It know? is hard work. And can we just say it takes a long time Right? You're not going yeah. to one or two Some sessions. Some days are better or... than others, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And
0: it does I've take noticed, a long
1: time. Yeah, I've noticed that every time I feel like I'm growing, my growth is tested mm-hmm. every single time. <laughs> well, you're probably just
0: growing and awakening more and more. That's mm-hmm. probably what's happening. And you're like, oh man, I'm getting knocked down again. When the truth is, no, more is surfacing for you to tend to.
1: Ooh, yeah. did this just turn into a session for me? No. <laughs> well, I'm trying to help you
0: see it as a progression of more uncovering rather than a
1: yeah. triggered again. Yes, yes, yes. And I know that that is going to help someone else who feels like we've all felt that way, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I've been there. I've done this. I thought I was past it. And that's a really great point. It's like there's probably just like more junk to get out. There's more that needs to to come up. To tend to, Yeah. Yeah. So, I I know a lot of people are probably wondering, okay, this is great and yes it pertains to parenting and yes it pertains to myself. But you know, in our romantic relationships, that person gets the best and the worst of us. Absolutely. They do. They do. Right? I mean, I understand that you are uh your partner and now husband, Sven, you all have been together for a few years. Um Bless his heart. I'm sure all that you're learning, you're like, I'm learning through this with you. I know I am with my son just as a parent. (laughs) I love that
0: you say that because I actually think, you know, I I wrote my book for people with romantic relationships, but I think our relationships with our child are just as awakening. Like it's it's both like whatever you don't work out in your romantic relationship or there's a different type of relationship with your child, but your patterns are still going to show up in any close, intimate bond that you have. So it's good to do the, the work, no matter where you are, because it's parent child is, it is similar in the sense of the unconscious becomes conscious.
1: Yes. And, and the work in corporate America as a, as a leader, I mean, right. We could do a whole nother series on that, a whole nother episode. Um, but the way that you even lead in your job is a reflection of how you participate, I think, also in your personal relationships. I don't see how you can cut that off. You can't. You know, you can't. So this is what I'll say. There's twofold to that. The
0: the ways in which you adapted, your people-pleasing, your boundary system, all of those things are going to show up in most areas of your life. However... If you're very close to people in your job, it's going to show up. Yes, a lot of the things show up everywhere. But your romantic relationship typically hits deeper because it's a deepest relationship. So it's going to hit the deepest parts. But not to say if you're not in a romantic relationship and you're really close to your boss, that they're not going to hit your parts. Or if you have bad boundaries here, or if you place a lot of importance on success, you might actually – show up slightly different there than you would, you know, you might not have boundaries. You might have, you might not have boundaries with your partner because you are overcompensating because success is so important to you here. So, you know, there's so many layers to that, but yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, your stuff is going to show up also with the, anybody you have the closest bond with, closest bond is going to bring up the deepest bond is going to bring up the deepest work and your patterns or what you prioritize is going to show up in how you allocate your time and boundaries in your life.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, the, the red thread, if you will, that I wanted to pull through all of those is, something that you actually mentioned on your website. I mean, you point people right to it. It's like, we are breaking these toxic patterns and we're learning how to communicate more effectively, right? We are becoming aware of our, our subconscious um, habits and patterns so we can then shift how we're connecting and communicating. I mean, they're directly mm-hmm. tied. They're directly mm-hmm. tied. But that pathway, that in-between space, that communication, that's what I love is like, that's how you get to the other side. Like, mm-hmm. that's what helps to bring you bring you through, if you will.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was doing like, some on my own work and I would hit anger, rage maybe, I would turn and I would say, I'm not angry at you right now. I just really, really miss you. But my tone was still anger. And it was, like, <laughs> one step down from I hate you, right? Like, so... You get to these places where like you're able, you, maybe you can't even stop the reaction of the anger, but you start to see, well, that really it's because I missed this person and that's what's triggering. And then at some point you're just in the sadness of missing. And it's all these layers that you're able to like peel back and get more and more conscious of. And I think, being forgiving. I mean, as thera- psychotherapist who does this for a living, I'm still in my process. And I appreciate you being honest and being like, you're still in your process. And I think it's really important to let your listeners know, like we are all Man. in some kind of unfolding process, you know, yes. and it's a waxing and waning and we don't always get to
1: decide <laughs> <laughs> what is going to unfold. And honestly, if we just surrender to that, through so the fact that we are always learning and always growing, it actually makes the journey so much more manageable.
0: Yes. If you're okay with the unknown. And yeah. and I think there's a, if you feel, if you can feel into the interconnectedness and the support around you, you can surrender in the unknown and let what surface needs to be surface. And that's a hard thing for me and anyone to do. And it's, it's a lot about surrender and really trusting what comes up, we can handle it, you know, or that, that we have people in our life that will support us while we handle it. And that's a real act of faith, I think, in allowing our system to just not, not controlling
1: every aspect of our world. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the beauty is that the more conscious we become, um, and the more aware we become of our own habits and really how we're showing up, the better we are to show up for others. You know, it's just, I, I always think about this because it does come from a very personal space. It's like, I knew, I knew back then, and this is why I decided to embrace growth instead of being stuck in grief, was that if I become better, I'll be better for my son, and that makes the ripple effect. That is a choice, right? I do nothing or I do something. <laughs> I live I live on autopilot or I live consciously, <laughs> one wow, or the other. So, I mean, that's beautiful
0: because I think – what you did is like, I have to take this risk because a part of me knows that taking this risk will be better for my son. And he became a catalyst mm-hmm. for you to step into that space because you loved him so much. And sometimes that is how we get there. We love someone or we, we say, okay, I'm up against a wall so I can stay here or I can take that leap. And, you know, sometimes there has to be the right ingredients there, but that's beautiful a way of doing it. And, and then it becomes twofold. You can show up for your son better and you can show up for yourself better. But yeah. it, it's a hard moment. That's it a is. hard moment that you're talking about. And now I understand in the beginning of the podcast when you're like, was there a moment? Yeah, And I think I have had a moment, but um, it wasn't around grief. It was around anxiety of like facing death or facing the unknown where I was like, I can't keep running from you know, all these fears. And I had to run from all those fears because no one helped me sort through all of that stuff. And at some point I just stopped and faced it. And I think it is really, what you're talking about is a moment in which you have clarity of like, I can't keep doing this anymore. I need to stop and take a risk. And a lot of people, Go through that at some point in their life or many points in their life. Mm -hmm. And if we have the right support and the right motivation, it is the best catalyst ever. And if you're doing that, make sure you get some support around you while
1: you're doing it. You do not have to do that alone. Right. That is so true. And you know what? It may not be the support of your family. It may not be the support of a therapist. But maybe you do find a community of people who are on the same path of growth. And that Mm -hmm. right there, that will provide the safe Place mm-hmm. that'll allow you to flourish as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jess, I could talk to you for hours. I absolutely thank you so much for being here. Before we go, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your book, Anxiously Attached? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so Anxiously Attached, you know, was born out of you know
0: what I experienced personally, but also what I've been seeing in my practice. And I talk a lot about the behaviors we do to stay in connection because we're biologically wired to be in in connection. And I don't judge those behaviors, but the book talks about the anxious avoidant dance and the dynamics in certain relationships and what it really takes to heal this. And I have such a compassionate lens for every side of the street and help the reader understand themselves better. I'm there as an author through the whole process with you. I have meditations that go along with the book so you can start introspective. You can start to go into your body more. And I hope that people will read the book and they'll have this shift in awareness. And they'll start to see their own behaviors differently. They'll start to look at their love life or their patterns or their behaviors. And they'll start to understand the origin of it in a compassionate way. And so it was a journey for me. And and I am so excited. And, you know, I've done a lot of things and created a lot of things. But this is the first time I'm offering. So I feel so much. I still feel so good about this offering. That it's excited to see how it lands in the world and hopefully it shifts people this much or this much or whatever, but it impacts people in a way that they can start their healing. And it's not a one shot wonder, but it's definitely a pathway in. And, and when you do the work, the next step will be uh, more apparent to you as you begin to
1: shift. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for, for sharing some gems, some amazing mm-hmm. gems. Um, I definitely want to point everybody to your website or your social media. Where would you like them to follow you or, or, engage with you? Um, so
0: on Instagram, I'm Jessica Baum, LMHC, um, LMHC stands for a licensed mental health counselor. And then I think I handed you a link for the book I don't know when this is airing, but their pre-order link, you get like a free course and free meditation. So you can start immediately on the healing journey. Um, But be selfful.com is my company name. And I think you have a link to the direct landing page for the book. And if you follow the instructions on there, you get a lot of freebies to start your process right now. And yeah, you can also just Google Jessica Baum or anxiously attach Jessica Baum and you'll you'll find the book and you'll find me and both my websites. So well, I'm thank all you over for the being
1: map. so giving. I mean, goodness. Yeah. All right, listener, you know where to go, you know where to get all of those goodies. Make sure you pop over there, you get pre-order the book, um, get tapped into some of those other resources that are available. Mm-hmm. Jessica, thank you so much. I'm sending you so much love and many well wishes for your continued success. And uh, you are you're just a gem. You just shine. And I thank you for having this conversation with
0: me. It's, it was deep and heartfelt. Thank you. This has been in the details. If you like the show, tell a friend for more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.